This is a Federal News Network podcast. If there's implicit bias or systemic racism in the ranks of the Navy, naval leadership wants to find out and root it out. That's the job of Task Force One. Two of the Task Force members join me now. First, the director of Task Force One, Rear Admiral Alvin Holsey. Admiral Holsey, good to have you on. Uh, Good morning. Glad to be here with you. Thanks. And supporting the task force is the Navy's Force Master Chief, Huben Phillips. Mr. Phillips, good to have you on. Oh, good morning. It's glad to be here. Thank you. Let's begin at the beginning here. What is the task force specifically designed to do? Well, first, uh, and great question. The Navy decided, based off the callous of all the things happening, recent events, the national unrest, if you will, following the death of Mr. George Floyd, uh, to look at uh, the Navy in general. So our task is to analyze and evaluate issues in society and the military that distract from Navy readiness, specifically looking at racism, sexism, other things that's going to detract from that Navy readiness. And that's the key. Uh, we have to be ready to go fight and take our teams forward. And uh, Force Master Chief Phillips, is there evidence that readiness has somehow been hampered by issues related to racism or that type of thing in the Navy? Yeah, absolutely. We feel as a task force, and not just as a task force, as a Navy, that this is flat out a readiness issue. So if we have biases, whether known or unknown, if we have systematic processes in place that doesn't uh, level the playing field for every sailor uh, every day, then absolutely we consider that to be a true readiness issue. Because in the release about the task force, it noted that although about 20% of the recruits in the Navy are people of color, men and women, only 8 or 9% of the officer corps. So that's something that's happening throughout a career. And is that one of the issues you're going to be looking at specifically? Well, yes. As we look at the data, we're going to really take a look at everything we're going to do is based off uh, evidence-based, informed decisions, and looking at the data. So right now, uh, we will be addressing uh, the recruiting process, the accessions piece. Where do we get our talent from? Are we looking at the right communities? Or uh, are we going into communities that we don't normally go into? And so I think it's going to be very key to how we push this forward, get the right talent. We know that talent is out there all over this country. And so, again, we have to be able to go and mine for that talent and make sure that we're hitting the right places. What are some of the data sources that you'll be looking at that will give you a picture of what's going on? Well, I'll tell you that the Navy has a huge database of all types of data from male, female, gender, race, et cetera, that we can go and look for. And, and that data is readily available. But really looking at it, parsing through it, and making sure we can uh, have some type of understanding point of where we're at. And so that's where we get there. We go back to our Navy Personnel Command, the Navy Recruiting Command, and look at folks who've come in the last uh, several years, uh, multiple years, and see kind of where can we move the needle, where can we put extra emphasis in uh, getting the right folks. And besides the data analysis and looking at numbers, will you be also having listening sessions and trying to get some kind of anecdotal picture from the enlisted and officer corps? So I will tell you, and I've been saying this for my team and and saying it for years now, that every sailor has a story. And their unique story, sales and civilian, is what brought them to our Navy. Every story makes us stronger. Every story makes us richer. So myself and Force, we've been going around the fleet, and along with our civilian counterpart, Ms. Jane Roberts, and listening to the sailors. And they have some very compelling stories. And those stories, uh, are really, you have folks side by side listening to each other. And it's amazing to have a, a man and woman, two people sit by at work for 10 years or five years 
and don't know the story and how things impact them personally. So we're getting to know each other better as well, and we're taking some of that feedback uh, from the sailors and the civilians and, and pushing it to our, and to our, our force and see what we can find out. Uh, but uh, a force may have a better insight on that as well. And, of course, you've both spent a lot of time on ships. I mean, Admiral Halsey commanded a carrier group. And uh, Force Master Chief Phillips, I'm sure you've been on a ship or two in your career. When you mention that readiness can be affected, can you think of a time when maybe racial tension or someone's dissatisfaction on that score affected an operation or made it more difficult to complete a task than it should have been otherwise? Well, I don't know if I could say what at wide scale in terms of, you know, did it affect a mission set, but I would tell you that if you look at an individual contact by the individual sailor, each sailor is tasked to do a job that contributes to that mission. So if he or she is being um, sought out or feeling underrepresented or not having the same opportunities, then absolutely, by and large, I believe one sailor at a time affects our overall mission. And that Roe Halsey? Yes. So if you go back to the uh, early 70s, late 60s, we saw kind of massive kind of conflict on ships during that time. We don't see that today, but force is spot on from the standpoint of any issue that a person is not focused on or they feel that they don't belong, it causes problems. And I'll tell you that I believe that we have more in common than we have differences. And the more we talk to each other, again, that talking builds teamwork, teamwork builds trust. So we have people trusting each other and side by side on a ship. It doesn't matter where you're at, you can function better. And so, but when you have those distractions, you have those uprisings, those uh, bad thoughts, if you will, and people can't fit in, then it becomes a problem. Sure. And let me ask you this. Uh, As you look at the promotion and the people that are moved up through the ranks and try to make it more representative of what the recruit base looks like and what the regular sailor base looks like, you need to also maintain thorough meritocracy, too. So what is the challenge in balancing all of that? Well, I think if you look at a couple of things, we had a great brief a couple of weeks ago about a true meritocracy. And are we a true meritocracy? There are a lot of things that comes into place to get a person to where they are. So if you think about a person saying, hey, I'm successful because I worked hard, or if you're unsuccessful, it's because you're lazy, is that a true case? And oh, by the way, uh, there are other things that comes into play in a person's career, uh, whether they have great advocacy, better schooling, and other things can help a person to propel some and pull others back. So I think uh, everyone at this level works hard. Uh, well, I'd like to think that. But at some point, there are other things that can come into play, and we need to make sure we look at those very clearly and identify them. And what are the timelines and deliverables for the task force? So right now, uh, we just stood up roughly 30 days in right now, and so we're looking at having a, a final report. I think it's already published out by uh, to the CNO uh, about the end of December. And then we have some updates over the course of the next three months uh, as we go and to kind of dig into this and give the uh, CNO some uh, monthly updates as well. And before we let you go, I wanted to ask this. I've spoken to a lot of high-level senior executive civilian service members of color and also a number of military officers of high rank of color in a series of interviews we've been doing. And just briefly, what, Admiral Halsey, will start with you, is your experience coming up through the ranks, personally, as a black rear admiral. Well, I'll tell you, early on, I mean, I joined the Navy because I wanted to fly, and I stayed because I wanted to lead and make a difference. I will tell you, early in my career, I was always a one-of, and even as I come through the ranks, I'm still kind of a one-of in a lot of situations. 
it can be disheartening at times. You can feel uncomfortable at times. But I think you know what you've done and, and how well you can fly aircraft or drive a ship. And you go out and execute. And I will say this, though. Early on, there were times when I didn't necessarily trust people. But I realized that sometimes you have to trust somebody. And they don't necessarily have to look like you. I've had mentors who are both black and white who engaged and showed me a path forward. Again, I think part of it is understanding that you belong. And a lot of times people won't necessarily reach out and extend a hand to you and say, hey, yeah, you're like us, you can fly with us, but you go and prove yourself again and again. And sometimes you have uh, obstacles in the way. And uh, you take those on board, you see if you can learn from it, and you push forward. And did it occur to you when you were the Carrier Strike Force 1 commander that the flagship, the Vincent, was named for a congressman who was a great champion of the Navy, but also a committed segregationist. Yeah, so it's, uh, you make a very good point. I'm a, from a small town in Georgia, and when I you know, look at that piece there, I like to think that times have changed. And quite frankly, I, I like to think that if the uh, Congressman uh, Vince was alive today and, and saw me uh, in command of a carrier strike group in honor of his name, he would realize the progress that our nation has made and uh, realize that, hey, times have changed and we all can contribute to this country. So that's what I like to think about. And Force Master Chief Phillips, a little bit about your experience. Yeah, I would tell you, it's kind of amazing because uh, Admiral Halsey and I, we're both from the South, uh, but our experiences in the Navy, although different in terms of officer and enlisted, uh, the experiences were the same. And I know for me personally, you know, growing up in the South, I, I came into the Navy with my perceptions of people, and it was based off, you know, how I was raised and experiences I had. And I would tell you, Joining the Navy as a as a hospital corpsman, uh, an FMF corpsman specifically, something happens when you go into combat with men who don't look like you but are after the same objective. And the willingness to survive and the willingness to fight kind of puts all that stuff on the back shelf. So uh, that level of connection really opened my eyes to say, hey, maybe everything is not uh, as, as I thought it was in totality. Um, but I've been there, and even at this level, uh, there are many times that I am the only one in the room that looks like me, and, and I'm mindful of that. And uh, so within that space, I'm measured in my approach, and I'm very calculated as to, you know, my interactions and, and, and how I deal in that space. So uh, nevertheless, I had that level of advocacy, too, uh, from not just people who look like me, but um, people who didn't, who offered me opportunity, uh, who provided me that mentorship that I would have most likely not received. Uh, so I'm very proud of that and very thankful for that. Uh, hence my drive to really get back to this, right, and and to be all in and, and Task Force One Navy and, and having the impact for generations down the road to benefit that the work that we've done here. Navy Force Master Chief Huben Phillips, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, sir. Thanks for having me. And Rear Admiral Alvin Holsey, thank you, sir. And thanks, Tom. It's a great time. And they are both members of Task Force One. We'll post this interview along with links to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. All I want for Christmas is a DWI. Yeah, said no one ever. Impaired driving kills the holiday spirit. Drive sober, drive smart. 
Extra enforcement now on Minnesota roads. A message from the Minnesota Department of Public Safety.